0: The research says that it takes three years or more to become a competent teacher, five to become good, and seven or more to become masterful. Much of the time has to do with the complexity, not of mastering subjects, but the nuances of taking care of all those students at the same time. How do you keep them on task? How do you redirect those who fall off? And how do you craft like an artist a culture that is focused on learning and winning together? Our EDGE interviewee this month is Mr. Doug Lamov, the author of the bestseller Teach Like a Champion. Ten years ago, Doug undertook an extraordinary project where he sought to make visible what is normally invisible, namely the techniques that master teachers use in order to teach like champions. Uh, We're here this afternoon with Doug Lamov, and Doug, thank you so much for taking this time to be with us. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, I started working in a group of schools that were really trying to do something better for kids in the inner city. You know, the graduation rates for uh, kids in a lot of inner city communities are uh, well, they're well below ten percent in some cities. You know, they're three percent, and so we set out to imagine what would a school be like if it was college prep, but it was in you know it was in the toughest neighborhood in Newark or it's the toughest neighborhood in Rochester, and so we had this dream we hired a bunch of really motivated, committed teachers. You know, I actually started off my career as an independent school teacher, uh, which I know a lot, of your, a lot of your viewers are. And I remember talking with my colleagues about, you know, we love this work, but what if, what if we were able to do this work with the kids who need it the most? And so that was kind of our dream. And we hired a bunch of really smart, motivated people. And they went into the classroom and they were great people of character and integrity. And they came back to us and they said, if we're gonna build the schools that you told us we set out to build, we have to be better. And what we have is good, but it's not good enough. And, and so you, administrators of the school, make us better. And, you know, that's a, that's a big and important charge. And we weren't ready to answer that question. But up here in the upper right-hand corner are people who every day beat the odds. who They take, the kid, they take kids from the same poor neighborhoods and with the same barriers caused by poverty, and they achieve incredible things. And so what I set out to do is just find those teachers, watch them, study them, write down what they did, what that made them different from the merely good, and uh, and try and make it actionable for the teachers in our school. Uh, and I set out to do that, and, you know, I had a sort of informal document, and it kind of went viral, and lo- next thing I knew I was writing a book that I thought no one would read. <laughs> <laughs> and um, how many people, if you know the estimates, how many people have read your book now? Almost a million. Oh my gosh. I was doing a workshop for teachers yesterday on wait time, which I think is such a fascinating topic. You know, we all kind of know that you're supposed to wait after you ask a question. Uh, You know, that the average teacher waits a second or less, and then if you wait five or six seconds, what happens is often amazing, right? Kids think more deeply. Kids who aren't fast but are often cerebral all of a sudden feel like they can play, they can hope to participate by raising their hands. But it's really, really hard to get yourself to slow down and wait after you ask your question. I notice this when I'm running workshops, right? You know, first hand up in the air, bang, I call on them, even though I allegedly wrote a book about wait time. Another book that I wrote with some colleagues is called Practice Perfect, and it's really about the importance of practice in the teaching profession. I know that you there surely you have some listeners who don't like the conclusions that I found in my book when I study great teachers in in, uh, in inner city neighborhoods. Uh, And that's fine. The two things I would say is you can always go out and study your own positive outliers and learn from them. And that's an important part of the teaching profession. And what you find you should practice that we don't think of teaching enough as a performance profession. That is, you do it live in front of an audience, which may be very receptive and may be moderately skeptical. It may be 30, you know, 37th graders at, 2.30 2.30 in the afternoon the day after Halloween. And um, if you start crashing live, you can't hit pause and call, you know, call another lawyer, for example, as a lawyer could, and say, what do you do? What does this Latin phrase mean? And you're stuck with, you know, your question that you asked that no one seems to understand. And if you teach your lesson brilliantly on Tuesday, uh, you teach Animal Farm brilliantly on Tuesday, you go back on Wednesday. Uh, and the fact that you taught it brilliantly the day before guarantees you nothing. You have to do it all over again the next day. Uh, and so the way that other people who prepare for performance work in the world, musicians, athletes, surgeons is by practice. And so to take this wait time example, if you were a surgeon, you would practice suturing an orange for hours and hours and hours and hours before you went into the operating theater. And you would do that not because you wanted to think about your suturing during, and op- when you're in the operating theater, but because you didn't want to think about your suturing, you wanted it to be automatic and you could be thinking about, procedure. And so I'd say with something like wait time, what's the secret to waiting three or five seconds after you ask a question? It's actually practicing it with colleagues over pizza <laughs> or, you know, for 10 casual minutes at the end of the day, you practice answering questions, asking questions from your lesson the next day and waiting and scanning the room and you practice it so that you, not because you want to think about your wait time the next day when you're teaching Animal Farm, but because you don't want to think about your wait time and you want to be thinking about Animal Farm, but you want the wait time to happen automatically. And so to me, this idea of practice is critical to the profession and anyone can do it, even if they you know, disagree with everything in my book. And it's the notion that um, if your goal is to understand what your students know and don't know, what they can do and what they can't do, if they try to hide their mistakes from you, it is 10 times harder to fix them, address them, have a conversation with them than if they willingly show their errors to you. And so it has to be safe to be wrong. Being wrong in the short run is part of being right in the long run. And so when we went back and looked at all the video of the teachers that we'd studied all along, actually, they were all doing things like this. There's a great video in the new version of the of the, um, of the book where this teacher stops his math class. He's circulating during his math class and he realizes that students and start combining terms uh, when they're out of the and He says, I'm so glad you made that mistake. It's going to help me to help you. And that to me, like in, uh, I guess, encompasses the, this notion of culture of error. So the first thing is think, like no matter what you want to teach, you have to make it safe for people to be wrong. And this is very interesting, by the way, because I think it's not just about teachers and kids. You know, I was in a school the other day, one of the schools that we run in, in upstate New York, and I ran into a teacher that I knew, and she was coming down the hallway fast towards me, and I said, hi, Jamie, how are you? And she said, I'm good, but I can't talk right now. I just taught the worst lesson, and I have to go talk to Katie about it. This is a fascinating thing for her to say, right? She wants people to know about her mistake uh, so that she can fix it and make it better. And the most interesting thing about the story is that Katie was her principal, and you think about You know what happened? Do most people want their principal to know that they're struggling? No, they want to hide them. They want to hide their struggles from their principal. The principal comes in the room, and they start calling on the smartest kids in the class, so that (laughs) so that no one will see them struggle. Uh, So I think that you know this notion of like uh, you have to build a culture where it is safe to be wrong, no matter what. Whether uh, so, when you are trying to instill in kids uh, self-reflection, self-critique, self-correction. It has to be safe to get it wrong and then get it right. In fact, that is what education is, it's get it wrong and get it right over and over and over and over again. So that to me is you know at the core of check for understanding, which is the core of any kind of teaching.